Good morning once again to everyone. In a moment, we're going to start with Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. And uh, a few months back, I made up my mind that I would uh, quit sandwiching jokes into my preaching. And so I don't joke when I'm preaching anymore. However, I have one funny story I'd like to tell you before I start preaching. It has to do with, with Randy and Natalie. I, last I saw them, they were married down here, and we were eating a lovely meal at their expense. I like that part. But it seemed like after Randy and Natalie's honeymoon that uh, they wanted to go over and go shopping. And so most husbands, they dread shopping with their wives in the grocery store. So Randy said, I'll sit out here in the park in the park bench, and uh, you go ahead and do your shopping. And, and when I see you at the cash register, I'll come and bring the groceries out to the car. While he was sitting there, there were two other fellows sitting on the park bench, and they were talking about how to manage your wives. Well, Randy just being married, he thought he would uh, kind of get in on it. And one fellow said, well, he says, when I first got married, he says, I sat my wife down and I told her straight, I want this house cleaned every day, and I want it to be perfect when I come home. I want the dishes washed, I want them dried and put away, just like a new motel. No one ever lived here. The other fellow said, well, how'd, how'd it go? When you, when you told her, he said, well, I didn't see anything for the first day. The second day, it began to look a little better. And, and the third day, he says, I think she, she got on. He said, how'd it go with you? He said, well, I did somewhat the same thing. He says, I sat my wife down. I said the same thing, but I said more than that. I wanted a good meal, and I wanted the carpets vacuumed. I didn't want any dust over the ledges of the windows of the top of the doors. I wanted a clean house. He said, well, how did it go? He said, well, it took her a week or two. But he said, I finally began to see results. Randy listened to that. He said, well, that's, I think I better go home and set Natalie straight. <laughs> so when he, he finished, about two weeks later, three weeks later, um, Natalie was shopping, buying groceries again, and he was sitting on the bench, and here were these two fellows out there still talking. They said, aren't you the guy that was here a couple of weeks ago and uh, you said you was going to take our advice and go out and set your wife straight? He said, yep. He said, what happened? He said, well, he says, uh, for the first day, I, I didn't see anything. Second day, nothing. In fact, up to about the sixth day, I, I saw nothing. Finally, on the Sabbath day, he says, a little bit of light began to shine through my left eye. Natalie was the California wife. <laughs> I thought you got, I got Randy's permission to say that. Is Natalie in here today? Natalie, where are you, sweetie? She's in a class somewhere? All right, well, pass it on to her. Now, from the, from the ridiculous to the sublime, Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. I want to speak a little bit about Noah's Ark today, something that all of us know a little about, but do we really know the truth of Noah's Ark? As far as we're concerned, Luke 17:26 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now, let's think about that. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. We don't know exactly how long it will be before the Lord raptures the church and the Lord comes back in the millennium after the tribulation, but that's when we're just talking about. I would like us to think a little bit about the days of the Son of Man. So shall it be. We all know about these things, but do we really? But you may or may not be surprised to uh, learn that the day in which you and I are living today is parallel, maybe even worse, than the days of Noah. And we're going to read a verse of Scripture, about ten verses. It's going to take a couple of minutes to read it. But turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. And while you're turning, I'd like to say I'd like to point your attention to some of the parallels between us today, right here in the United States of America, right here in San Ramon Valley. Hopefully not in San Ramon Valley Bible Church. But as far as the United States of America is concerned. And I'd like to point your attention to these things that, uh, even though I don't have the time to cover them all in great detail, I want to just put them before you and let you vote as a, as, a, as a majority of one decide 
if you would agree that our day matches Noah's day. One of the first things in which we seem to be like Noah's day is the moral condition of mankind in Noah's day. I've asked you to turn to your Bible to Romans 1.21. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. I heard a man say one time, the word filled there is filled to overflowing, just putrid, sick. Humanity had just become rotten. Well, let's turn to Romans 1.21 and see what it says there. And by the way, while I read this, I'm going to read it fast for the sake of time. Nevertheless, let's judge each word and see if we can find that here, especially San Francisco and some other places, but what our land has gone to today. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, notice they started off knowing God. They were not, they were not non-God. They knew God. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice there, plural, heart, singular. The whole, the whole world had one heart, a darkened heart. Was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. Now notice the downward progression. Corruptible man, and then the birds, and then four-footed beasts, and finally creeping things. Can you imagine a man making a mosquito his god? That's just about how bad it was. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Sure sounds like 2004 to me. Who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up. There's the second giving up. When they gave God up, He gave them up. They gave God up, He gave them up. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned. I, I, can't under, I can't imagine this happening, but it has happened and we know it. In their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly or unnatural. People try to make homosexuality today legal and say it's natural. It's just a different choice. No, it's not. It's sin. That's what it is. It's sin. Unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. That is, they got what they deserved. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, perverted mind. They didn't even want to hear the name God. Don't talk to me about religion, people tell us today. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers. This is why we have so many divorces today. Just break the covenant. It doesn't matter. Covenant breakers, without natural affection. Notice, without natural affection, they'd become perverts, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God. Now, they knew in their minds, they had already been taught that the judgment of God was coming, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We've read how man's moral tendency is naturally downward. When you leave God out of your life or cut God out of your mind and your thoughts, there's only one way that the natural man can go, and that's morally downward. And uh, when we remove God from our thoughts, this is what happens to us. And the longer we do it, the more perverted, the more corrupt, 
the more vulgar we become. In my world, I spend an awful lot of time visiting families. And sometimes in that marriage, the husband might be saved and the wife isn't. Or the wife might be saved and the husband isn't. Is this mic working okay? I don't, I don't know if it's working or not. I just put it in my pocket. And sometimes the husband isn't. And to sit in a living room and listen to the perverted one, the non-Christian one, talk, you would wonder, is this man stone crazy or not? The things that interest him in contrast to the things of God. Well, our, you may say, well, Bob, how does that, how does that appeal to us uh, as far as being the worst generation? Well, <clears throat> stop and think for a moment. You have to be a little older than most of you are, but I remember as a kid today, when I was, when I was in my teen years, in fact, the things that the law protects today, those people were called crazy. They put them in the nut house where they belong. Today, the law protects the homosexual person and the lesbian and they can insult you but you can't insult them think about that what happened how did the law change with the word of god right in front of us well it shows you the downward bend of morality without christ that's what it shows you and i are living in the only generation since noah as far as i'm concerned we're the only generation in the 200 years of the united states of america in which sin is protected instead of confessed and forsaken and done away with. I've had highway patrolmen tell me that there's almost no, no use arresting people on certain things because you know they're going to get away with it. The judges are soft. The judges are soft. Charge them a little penalty or give them a warning and let them go. You and I are living in the very generation in which for the first generation in our country, we begin to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Now, let's think about that. Number one, the moral decay. I believe that you and I are living in a time in which we measure up to the days of Noah. Now, secondly, let's think a little bit about the ark. I'm going to jump over a lot to get done on time if I can. The ark, the subject of the ark is summed up in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 7. If we went over and read it in Genesis, we'd be here till 1 or 2 o'clock, so I'm just going to pass over that and just look at the New Testament verses. Hebrews 11 says, 11, 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Some people say, I'm a phobic, I'm, a, I'm a agoraphobic, I just can't, can't, can't take crowds of people, or I'm a this phobic, or I'm a that phobic. Well, here, fear was good. It was real fear. It wasn't a phony fear. It wasn't a, a twisted fear. It was a real fear. He was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So he made this ark. By the way, the ark was 450 feet long in, in feet, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Now, except for the 45 feet high, you ladies that go out and walk for mourning for your health or whatever, or men too, step off 450 feet. And that's how long the ark was. Step off uh, 75 feet, and that's how wide it was. Pretty good sized ship. And it was built according to the way the ships are built today. So, he was right on target. Well, let's go on. As built by Noah, at the command of God, the ark is a picture of divinely ordered safety. This is what you and I are interested in. God told him how he could be safe from the flood and not be drowned by it. And therefore, it serves a type of, as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is our ark of safety for salvation today. There's a lot of comparisons between Noah's ark and the Lord Jesus Christ. Noah believed in God. He took God at his word. He built an ark, and he was not destroyed. He was not drowned by the flood. We Christians today, we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on Calvary's cross, uh, and we'll be protected from God's coming wrath of fire down the road. And by the way, down the road might not be too far down the road. The third, the flood. What about the flood? Well, the apostle Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3, Verses 6 and 7, uh, that uh, he wrote not only of the flood in Noah's day, but also of the future judgment. 
Here's what he said, if you don't have your Bible open there. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. Notice, by the same word, kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, as sure as there was a flood in Noah's day, there's coming a time in which the surface of the earth, so to speak, will be consumed with fire. How would you feel if you knew for sure that that was going to happen next week and that only those who know Jesus Christ as Savior can be delivered from it? And you're not a Christian. Well, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. The fact is, and the truth is, I can't guarantee you it won't be next week. It could be earlier. Even though the day of the Lord, the coming, the, the day of Christ, so to speak, might start at the beginning of the tribulation period. So we know that not long after that. Now, there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ on earth, I believe, before this new heavens and the new earth. But, for those who continue to put off the gospel when the Lord raptures the church, I believe that if you made your official decision, no, I don't want to be a Christian. I'm not going to trust Christ as my Savior. I don't believe that you'll be saved in the tribulation period. I don't believe that you would be saved in the millennial reign of Christ if you live through the tribulation. And there are some people who will live through the, through the millennium. The Bible says a child shall die at 100 years of age during the millennium. But you have sealed your own doom, even though the, 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 the fire may be hundreds of years from now, thousands of years from now. I don't think I'd like it. People scoffed at Noah, didn't they? Can you imagine? Put yourself in Noah's shoes, and there you were. And I'm told, I've never been there, but where they thought Noah built the ark was mostly desert. And so he built a ship out in the middle of the desert. And it had never rained, as we're going to read about in a few moments. And the people would come by and say, look at that, look at that man building a ship. Where is he going to launch it? There's no water around here. Well, that would be enough to make you laugh a little bit and uh, snicker and, and so on. And, and then not only that, but uh, if it, it had never rained before, but we'll touch on that in a moment. They scoffed at Noah in his day and believed God that he believed that God was going to send a flood. Many today scoff at those of us that are saved, and we warn them of the coming day of wrath, God's wrath. We warn them of hell. We warn them of the lake of fire. And they just kind of sit back and look at you, and you can see a little little sneer over here on the side of their mouth. He's nuts. Not long ago, because this eye problem I have, by the way, is getting much, much better. I have measurable improvement, and I have a hope that it will get back to normal in the next six months or so. But I sat down one day and I thought, uh, Bob, here you've been telling him all your problems. You need to tell him about the Lord. And so I got talking to my doctor, my family doctor. And as I talked, I could see him sitting back and he did just what I said. He crossed his legs and leaned back, defensive position, you know, and he listened to me and he listened and he listened. Well, I could see that he wasn't picking it up. So I wrote him a letter later on told him about my eye, one page, and I told him about Christ dying for his sins, ten pages. And I said, read this at your lunch hour. He only has a donut and a cup of coffee for lunch. And I said, you might be dead before me, but read this and you'll enjoy your lunch. But I believe that we should witness Christ to anybody we come in contact with in, a, in, in the correct way. People scoffed at Noah. They didn't believe it. And people scoff at us. If you're going to be a witness for Christ, you've got to have alligator skin. You gotta to be tough. It's like getting old. Getting old is not for sisters. You gotta to be tough to get old, you know. All these things that you get that you didn't have earlier. Not long ago, I rolled over in bed. I've been sleeping on my hand here for a little bit. And I rolled over. Jeannie always sleeps on my left side, and we, we're like two lovebirds. We sleep this way, and then we sleep that way, and we sleep this way, and we sleep that way. So when I roll over, she rolls over. If she rolls over, I roll over. And as my hand went by, I noticed this finger wouldn't straighten up. You ever had that? And I said, I, said, I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I come on, finger, pop up. It wouldn't pop up. So I said, it's okay. Well, we have things like that as we get older. Don't worry about it. You'll have yours as you go along. You might even have eye trouble. I don't know. But let's get back to the text. They did not believe the coming judgment was going to fall on a guilty world. 
But as sure as it fell in Noah's day, it's going to fall in the right time. Now, I wonder, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this and see if you agree with me. I, as I read the paper, as I listen to TV, I don't quite watch it again yet because there's still a little cloud that I don't see. As I read the paper, as I watch and hear the news on TV and study our relationship with Iraq and Iran and all the other nations and of the world, us Americans, we think we live in a safe land. Oh, it's never going to happen here. Well, I believe in the last few years, us Americans seem to sense and expect a crisis coming. How many of you would agree with that? Most of us know that all of the news is negative. Our president has his problems. It seems like everything he does is wrong, and if he does the opposite, that's wrong. There isn't a solution. And then, of course, if you get the Islamic religion in there, on top of that, where they believe in killing each other, they don't agree with each other on, on their religious views, which, as far as I'm concerned, are crazy, but that's my opinion. But uh, the world is getting worse and worse. And with that, many of these smaller nations, especially an Islamic nation, would be willing for all of them to die if by an atomic bomb they could wipe out the United States of America. They would get a special place in heaven for that. We're the enemy. And we today have a, a, are beginning to build. Now, I'm not a negative thinker. I'm a positive thinker, but I'm positively true that this is true too. I'm positively true that the negative might happen in our lifetime. And people that we talk to today, you don't see happy people, jovial people, secure people walking around. I don't know how it is here in San Ramon Valley, but in the last six months, I have met many people who were $100,000 a year people on their jobs, $500,000 a year people on their jobs. They thought life was secure. One day they get a letter or the, someone from the higher up comes in and says, well, your job is over. You're on the street. More people are looking for jobs than they have in a long time. Now, we know that it takes one signature over in Washington, and all of this is going to be freed up. But that doesn't help the people who's already lost their jobs. Things are getting tough, and we expect some form of national, if not world, calamity to soon come. Uh, and soon comes means in our lifetime. I know a lot of people that are not making a great deal of provision for retirement because they don't believe they'll live long enough to retire. It's tough. Calamity to soon come in our lifetime. Now, let's move to point number four. I'm trying to stay on time here. Noah's faith is the, is the fourth point. What about Noah's faith? Well, Noah acted in faith in God's Word and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, that is, himself and his family, not his physical house. Noah worked 120 years building that ark. By the way, when I was a young man, I heard a man say one time that... Uh, 120 years, and then the, the floods came. And he backtracked. I can't, I, I can't defend this statement, but he, he did a good job. It was at a Bible conference in, among the assemblies in North Carolina. He went back to the year of, night, uh, of, 2000 or, of 19 uh, or 1870 or somewhere along there, and he showed by history that about 120 years before now, that was the time that the American government began uh, to become uh, 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 sinful. That is, they didn't hold the standards of the Word of God like they did before. And he brought it right up to, you'd almost expect the judgment to fall that day in that conference. I can't say I agree with that, but he sure had it documented well. We're told in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6 that a, a mist went up from the earth and watered the land. And uh, furthermore, it said that Noah, being warned of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Well, we mentioned that earlier, prepared the ark. Noah got scared. He believed it so strong that he began to uh, shake and tremble over it. And so he went to work, and he built this ark. But that which seemed to Noah's critics to be a piece of folly uh, proved to be the end to be true. I have a sister named Marjorie. I have a brother named Arthur, Marjorie, and then Catherine. We grew up in a Southern Baptist church until a preacher came along with a tent and preached the gospel, and my mom became saved, and he started an assembly about like yours here, and we started going there. And Marjorie was a young girl, maybe a teenager, I don't remember when, but uh, 
And she said she was saved. She was baptized in the meeting and taught a Sunday school class for, for a long time. And then a man by the name of Lester Wilson came to town preaching the gospel in this tent. Uh, he, he did, but then later he didn't. He came back for special meetings. And during that week of preaching, he spoke on Noah's Ark. My sister was in the audience. I was up in the balcony. I was watching. And when he gave the invitation, my sister Marjorie, who had been in the fellowship of the assembly for years and been saved and been baptized, she went down and went into the little room where they led people to Christ, and, uh, and she really trusted the Lord. So on the way home, I said, Marjorie, I said, I thought you were saved years ago. She said, well, Bob, she says, it's like this. She says, I, I'm like Noah in the ark. Noah believed that the ark would hold him. And he built it. And he made it so it would hold him and save him. But he had to get into it. And Brother Wilson had told the story in his preaching of some of the people on the ark looking out and seeing the water going by and bodies would go wash by. Oh, there goes my neighbor so-and-so. And there goes my neighbor so-and-so. And Brother Wilson is one of the finest evangelists I've ever known, so he picked on people in the audience. There goes Marjorie Bruton by. And there goes so-and-so by. And he named a half a dozen people. All half a dozen of those people at least professed to trust the Lord as their Savior that night. She said, I have never gotten into the ark. I believe the ark would hold me. Well, that's not enough. Noah could even build the ark and stand out and say, boy, what a good job I did. I'm sure it will get us through the ark. But he had to get in the ark, and God had to close the door. How many of us in this room today, and I'm not joking about this at all, I believe that there are evangelical and fundamental churches all across America. They have people that know that Jesus Christ saves. They know that Christ died for their sins. They know that if they trust Him and commit themselves to Him, that they will be saved. But it stops there. They fall short of getting into the ark. They fall short of trusting him. I often use the illustration of an elevator. You can go to any building downtown that has more than one floor. If the elevator goes up there to the next floor, ten floors or five floors, you can believe till you're red in the face that that elevator will take you to the next floor. But you're not going to make it standing in the hall, standing in the entryway. What do you have to do? Get into it. How many of us today can say, Bob, that's what saved me. I grew up in Sunday school. I believed the gospel. I, could hear, I heard the gospel. I could tell the gospel. I'm thinking of two young teenagers in Durham, North Carolina, years ago. They, were, they, they thought they were saved, and they had a friend that uh, wasn't saved. So they went over, and, and they were going to lead him to Christ, like teenagers would do. One said, I'll tell you what, no need for two of us. We don't want to interfere with each other. I'll sit on the porch, out in the, on the swing on the porch, and I'll pray while you deal with it. Who do you think got saved? Not the unsaved boy, but the guy in the, in, the, in the swing. He heard the gospel for the first time, even though he knew it all his life. And he's the one that got into the ark. He made the commitment. How many of us, in addition to what we know about salvation, came to a moment of time? A moment. You might not remember it. You might not know the day. God didn't say you have to be saved with the calendar in one hand and stop watching the other. But you know it. You know it if you did it. I know it when I did it. As I can tell, it was March the 14th, 1950, Valentine's Day. And God gave me a new heart. Have you ever really stopped and said, God, I'm going to practice what I know. Right now, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I'm resting upon Him, His finished work, the blood shed on Calvary's cross. Now, I'll tell you what happens. When you do that, the Spirit of God comes inside of you to dwell. And He's the one that makes you the new creature in Christ. Your mind changes. You're going to be hearing a little bit about sanctification. I'm glad I'm preaching on this today because my second charge would have been practical sanctification. You're going to get that for the next few weeks, I understand, in the, in the early class in the morning. But he's the one. If you try to change your life in your own strength, to walk like a Christian, however that is, or talk like a Christian, or live the Christian life, you won't last 30 days. You can't do it. The old nature cannot be Christian. 
But when you have the Spirit of God in you, He can change you and He can give you new thoughts and new desires. I had a man building a door for me. We had a door that needed to be repaired and he replaced it and wasn't a Christian. He says, what do you people believe over at your church? He says, I've tried every religion around, the Catholic church, to this church, to that church. He says, I'm just fed up with religion. I said, well, welcome to the club. He opened his eyes and he looked at me real. He said, what do you mean? He says, aren't you a preacher? I said, yes. Are you not religious? He says, no, not a religious bone in my body that I know of. And if I did, I'd probably have an operation and have that bone removed. I said, you are looking at the most non-religious person you'll ever find. You don't have to quit drinking and quit doing this and doing anything. Enough, a few things I knew you shouldn't do any of them. I said, no, you don't have to do that to be saved. What you need to do is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Died for your sins on the cross. And you need to come to a moment of time in which you give yourself. You step in the ark, so to speak. He said, now you're talking. He says, I've been looking for that for years. I can keep my sins and go to heaven when it's over. I said, that's it. I said, however, there is one qualification. He said, what's that? I said, when God really saves you, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and He changes your want-tos. He changes your want-tos. I used to smoke a little bit before I was saved. And um, uh, lucky strike, I think they call them. And uh, I quit, quit, quit smoking after I was saved and, and uh, went on for a while. And one day, my mother, who had loaned her Singer sewing machine, the pedal sewing machine, you folks aren't old enough to remember that, but the old Singer sewing machine, you pedal the floor, make it work, and and this lady returned it, but she couldn't pick it up and bring it in the house, or just mom and her, and I was in the house. She said, son, will you come out here and get this sewing machine? So I went out and picked it up and took it into where mom kept it. And she stood out there talking with her in the driveway down by the sidewalk. We lived on a hill. So I, I opened one of the little drawers almost slid out. You know how you do when you something like that happens? And I saw a pack of Lucky Strikes in there. I looked. Nobody saw me. God was seeing me. So I took those lucky strikes out, went down to the kitchen, got a match, and I lit up a cigarette. Came back down the hall and looked in this big vanity mirror in the bedroom, and I felt like Al Capone. I said, that's not you, Bob. That's not you. That man died. Christ died for that. I took about three puffs, and I inhaled them, and I got real dizzy anyhow. And I put that thing down, and I thank God I've not smoked since. It's not me. It's a new nature. And I told this man, I said, listen, whatever your urges are now, you will have them, but you will have new urges. You'll have spiritual urges. And God will give you the grace and the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit not to do those things that you know to be wrong. That man is in happy fellowship in our assembly in Fremont today. He really trusted. Now he's still doing some growing. And I'm still doing some growing. We're all growing. But he, he often gets up and gives that testimony. I, I wanted to no religion. All this religious stuff, he says, I couldn't keep up with it. I said, that's why God saved us. You couldn't keep up with it. Let's go on. So it is with the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the wrath of God for us. He died for, ours, for us. And when we step inside the ark, it says God closed the door. I like that part. Noah didn't even have to close the door. He couldn't close the door. It was probably too big. So God in His grace, He inspected the work, and He saw it was all like it ought to be. We have some more coming on that in a moment. Noah got in, and as a good host would be, he closed the door. I believe that Noah was very content in there because he knew that he built it, and he knew that God told him to do it, and he was not going to let that boat sink. Well, there are those who are still lost in their sins, and they call this folly. Oh, well, we don't know if that's a real story or not. It's just a Bible story. It doesn't impress me. But let me say that in the New Testament, almost everything about Noah and the ark is applied to, to us today. And the judgment is now coming. Now, just one more thought, and then we'll wrap it up. The fifth thing I'd like to mention is the pitch. You notice he was told by God to pitch it within and without. Well, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 14, the safety of the ark was made sure because Noah 
pitched him, whatever he had, and I like to call it stop leak. You know, today you can go to the store and buy stuff. And we had an elders meeting not long ago, and uh, we were in this man's home, and there came a leak right through the right through the ceiling. It was raining cats and dogs. He said, well, I can fix that. And he, he was a contractor, and he put on his uh, yellow raincoat, ran out to his truck, brought some stuff, brought a ladder and everything, got up there and fixed that thing in about five minutes, and the water stopped. Pitch. There's other things that they call it, but in Genesis 6.14, the safety of the ark was made sure because of Noah's application of pitch, which I imagine to be something like what you and I would call stop leak today, but maybe a lot better. And he pitched it within and without. And that kept the water on the outside from coming on the inside. Would you believe that in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, the Hebrew word for pitch used in Genesis 6 is the word translated atonement? Did you know that? It's the same Hebrew word referring to the blood which made atonement for our souls. I like that. The pitch held the boat together. The pitch prevented destruction from coming inside the boat. A friend of ours and his wife treated my wife and I to a Caribbean cruise about 20 years ago. I'm kind of hoping he'll get convicted again and do it again. <laughs> but he treated us to a Caribbean cruise, and on a cruise ship, there's a certain section up at the front that's usually blocked off, passengers not allowed. But one day a gate was open, and I didn't see the passengers not allowed, and I'll walk through the gate and walk around the front of the building, up where they drive the boat and all that. And right behind that, down on the very deck that I was walking by, I walked by this big, beautiful picture window, just like a lovely home. And that was the residence of the captain, Captain Stanglin, the real boss. He had his fancy coat off, he had a shirt on, but he had a sofa and a chair. His feet was up, relaxing. Had a big, beautiful television going out there in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere. Had a newspaper, smoking a cigar and a glass of beer or whatever. I'm not sure what he was drinking. But he was completely relaxed. Why? Because he knew that boat was not going to sink. I'm sure that he, he was responsible for all 5,000 crew members. And there he was, feet up, just relaxed. Of course, he looked over and saw me. He pulled the drapes. I was not supposed to be there. I didn't know it till I walked out and saw the sign. I always avoided him after that until we got off the ship. But I said to myself, even then, and I thought the other day when I was putting these notes together, that was Noah on the ark. He had his feet up. Why? Because he knew that ship was not going to sink. He was reading the paper, watching television. <laughs> Whatever they had in that day, Noah was completely relaxed. Why? Because God told him to do it. And he did it the way God said do it. And he knew that he was not going to be drowned out in the ocean. How many of us today are working our way to heaven? Oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. If I don't keep the Ten Commandments, so I always feel people say, are you a Christian? Well, I hope so. Well, if they say I hope so, that just tells me they're not. I just assume they're not and lead them to the gospel. Because I believe that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And you know it by the Spirit of God, the witness of the Spirit. And I try to lead them to Christ. Let's get back. In Leviticus 17:11, as I said, this word is the same. And the atonement there refers to making atonement for the soul, the blood of Christ. Today we know that the shed blood of the Lord on the cross gives all who trust Him as their own Savior perfect safety. I'm not the best living. I'd like to be the godliest man on this earth. I know I'm not. But I like to be. But I'll tell you this, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that when I leave this life, I'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Aren't you presumptuous? No, I'm just believing God's Word. If God can lie, then I'm in trouble. But God can't lie. The ark was designed by God, and in like manner, Jesus' body was specially designed. Have you ever looked that up in the Bible? Hebrews 10 5, it says God gave him a special body. And he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And just like old times, the ark was very, very unpopular because it was a witness against them. Noah was out there on the desert now making this ark, and people would come and say, What in the world are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? Well, there's going to come a flood. Well, remember, it's never rained before. The mist came up from the earth. 
What do you mean rain? Well, drops of water are going to fall down. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's going to rain. And we're going to have a flood right out here in the middle. Noah, you have lost your sense of understanding. You're crazy. How many people today, when's the last time someone has looked at you and said, Man, you're nuttier than a fruitcake. You believe all this religion stuff. I've had people tell me that just recently I was in, a, in the home of a man whose, whose wife is a Christian. He said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. You're like a dog. When you die, you're dead. I said, well, my dog has more sense than you do. He said, how's that? I said, well, when I pray, he goes to sleep like everybody in church does. You know. If I want my dog to go to sleep, I get down and say, Lord, help Buddy to go to sleep. And I wake up and Buddy's asleep. I do that every night to make him go to sleep. And when I finish praying, he's asleep. little light, I turn that on. That means time to go to sleep. And I get down and I say, Lord, I know you're not interested in animals. But the Bible does say you're concerned about the things that I'm concerned about. So I'm concerned that Buddy go to sleep and not mess on the carpet. Let's pray. And I pray, Lord, don't let him do that. And I wake up the next morning, he hadn't done anything like that since we've had him. Try it sometime. Maybe God might bless your dog. This man didn't even have the intelligence of the dog. And, of course, I used that as a stepping stone to get him to lead him to Christ. I tried to. The ark was unpopular, and today the gospel is unpopular. But don't let that stop you. Just recently, I'm not going to quote his name. You might know him, and I might be wrong. Just recently, we shared the gospel. In fact, um, the, day, the week before Easter, I spoke on the seven sayings of the suffering Savior on the cross. Good Friday, but I spoke, it on, spoke on it on Sunday. And uh, there was a person there that I dealt with very, very strongly, and I could tell he was under conviction. Well, since then, he's made a profession of faith in Christ. And he gave me a hard time through the years he's given me a hard time. Another neighbor that used to live next door to me for many, many years has moved out in Patterson now, and he's saved. I led his wife to the Lord, and later he became saved out there somewhere. But we would meet out at the driveway, and he would tell, curse me and call me everything he could think of. You don't know what you're talking about. la di da di da di da di da So we and I just kept praying. And one day there was a knock at the door. Ken, I went to the door, and there he was standing he says, Bobby, have you got a few minutes? I said, yeah, what's the matter? He said, come out in the front. I want to talk to you. I said, uh-oh, dum-da-dum-dum, come out to the sidewalk. He said, I've been watching you and your wife for years. By the way, this is a good lesson, Christian. He says, you and Jeannie seem to have life worked out. You don't fuss. You don't fight. All the things that everybody else does, you don't do that. He says, I want to know what the difference is. Now, he was, my, he was my chief enemy in the court where we lived. He was going to do everything he could to make me look ridiculous. Well, I'm happy to tell you after that talk, it took maybe two or three more years. But he moved away. He moved to Patterson to get away from you. That's a joke, of course, but that's what he says. But now he's saved, and we have our baptisms in his swimming pool out there in Patterson every summer. And he gives that testimony. Well, time is up. The ark had but one door. In like manner, Jesus Christ says, I am the door, the way, the truth, and the life. You don't go to heaven any other way, not by church membership, by giving your money, by being baptized, doing all the things that Christians should do because they have meaning behind them. But all of that doesn't save you. If anyone enter in, he shall be saved, the Lord says. Once again, let me ask you this question. Have you entered into the ark, or do you just know about it, and you pretend to live the Christian life, but it's not working for you? In Noah's day, the presence of the ark condemned the world, and today the presence, or just the mention of the word Jesus Christ, condemns the world. They don't like that. I don't believe Noah did a whole lot of preaching. They just watched him and thought he was nuts. But that, that existence of that boat at least told them that he believed that judgment was coming. And only his family entered the ark. The ark was subjected to the waters of judgment. And one of these days, Jesus Christ, well, he already has. Jesus Christ on the cross bore our sins in his body there. The time is up, and I've got a lot more I'd like to say, but I'm not going to say it. 
I would like to just make a comment on the movie, The Passion. How many have seen that movie? Will you raise your hand? Well, thank you. Put your hands down. I went to see it the other day. My son said, Dad, he says, Debbie and I went to see it, and we liked it, and we'd like to get your view on it. And I appreciate that respect that, that was given to me. He said, well, if I paid your way, I said, well, you're half right already. <laughs> and he says, would you go with me, and, and uh, I'd like you to watch that movie. And so I went. Even got a big bag of popcorn. Now I know why Americans are so fat. The movie's in the popcorn. But I'd just like to give you just a comment or two. I would, I would say theologically it's at least 75 to 80 percent correct. There's a lot of areas that the Word of God doesn't speak on that had to fill in. For instance, Judas went out and hung himself. He didn't say where he got the rope. Nowhere in the Bible does it say where he got the rope. In the movie, he got the rope off of a donkey, a dead donkey, if you remember that. So they filled in. Maybe it was that way. Maybe it wasn't. But I would like to make a comment. I believe that theologically it was short. And if I were defending the movie, I would say, well, they did not make the movie for theology. They made the movie to show the sufferings or the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to say I think they did an excellent job. There is a weakness, however. You can sit through that movie and leave never having heard the gospel. John 3.16 or anything else. My belief is this, and, and uh, I'm sure that you agree. If you don't, I hope you will agree. Everything that man did to the Lord from, from the garden to the cross, as far as shedding his blood and the ill treatment, had nothing to do with salvation. It was man's anger against the Lord that caused that. And in the movie, there was a cloud that came over, if you remember correctly, but it didn't say anything about lasting for three hours. And most Christians don't know this. I probably have been preaching full time. One day it dawned upon me, Bob, you're not, you're not making the story complete. I believe that Jesus did not take our sins upon himself as the sin bearer until during the three hours of darkness. And there was a transaction between the Father and the Son that was so unspeakable that God allowed this blackness to come around, darkness. And only God and Jesus Christ, God the Son, knows what took place. This transaction resolved the inequity between God and mankind if man would just trust Him. You remember the first statement, he says, My God, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At the end of the three hours, he said, uh, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But in the middle, during the hours of judgment, he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, Father, but God, why? During those hours, that was when he was the sin, sin bearer. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not, but I believe that's theologically correct. And so God sent them all home. Most of them went home. The, the guards had to stay there. But the Lord bore our sins. It wasn't the blood that you saw d drawn from the body of the Lord that paid for our sins. It was the blood that ran from the... Remember, they came to break the legs of the men on the cross, and they found the Lord was already dead. And so he took a spear and drove it into his side. Well, that was after the Lord said, It is finished! And he dismissed his spirit. And so it might be good if you go to that movie. And by the way, I'd recommend you go. If you haven't seen it, it's very interesting. It was very reverently done. It strikes worship almost in your heart. But watching that movie doesn't make you a Christian. I, I was sitting there with a critical eye, believe me, and an ear. I did not hear how to become born again. I did not hear. Now, we did hear that Christ died for our sins. That was, that was in there. But it was far away from trusting. And it, and it would we'd be led to believe that the blood that was... Uh, on his back and from the crown. It was a terrible thing. And it's enough to make you fall in love afresh with the Lord. That was not the blood that redeemed you. The blood that redeemed you was the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed as a result of his interaction with God the Father during those three hours of darkness. Now this got me off track. and I'm going to stop right here because we're over already. The question is this. How many of us in this room today can say, yes, Brother Bob, I thank God 
that I not only grew up in a church where the gospel was preached and my Sunday school teacher told me all about that, and I know that Christ died for my sins on the cross, but a knowledge of all of these facts do not save you. It comes down to a commitment. Lord, I not only believe about it, but I'm trusting it. I'm trusting what you did upon the cross, especially during those three hours of darkness when it says in First Peter, he bore in his body God's wrath against our sin. Have you done that? Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll dismiss. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and I've never been more serious in my life than I am right now, How many of us, without any question at all, any doubt, you're absolutely sure that you have trusted, you have given yourself and trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Will you raise your hand? Nothing else is going to be required. Thank you. Put your hand down. I wonder if there's anyone here today that might be thinking, well, Bob, I know everything that you've said today. I've been taught it. But I don't ever remember... People say, well, you just become a Christian. You don't have to remember. Well, no, hold on a minute. When you got married, you remember. Randy remembers. He better. We remember when we got hurt. We remember when we pay our income taxes. We remember when we get married. We remember special events. I remember where I was when President Kennedy was assassinated. We all remember those things. If you have no memory even though you might not know the time and the place, that you really stopped and said, I am not only believe about all of this, but I'm getting in the elevator. I'm getting in Christ. I'm in the boat. I'm trusting what Christ did for me. If you have no memory of that, will you raise your hand? Anyone here that is brave enough to say, well, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, but just, is there anyone here that can say, well... I, I know what you're saying, but I don't remember that I've ever committed my... And besides, Christianity hasn't really worked for me. Look up your hand. I'll pray for you on the way home in the car. Anyone? Well, I hope there's not a soul in this room. I hope there's not a soul here that has heard all of this and you're still lost. I believe the judgment might come before my life is over. might not, but it might. The rapture may take place. That could take place any day. I thank God that I'm saved, and when he comes, I'll go up with him. And I hope you will, too. Father, we thank you again for your love to us. and We thank you that when we were dead in trespasses and sin, you still loved us. Before the foundations of the earth, the word says you were the world, your, your love was fixed upon us. We thank you that as we saw salvation in Noah and the ark, we know that We have a a same salvation by trusting Jesus Christ today and his shed blood, the pitch, as it were, for our salvation. And all we require to do is commit ourselves to it in faith and to him, our Lord and Savior. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray. And once again, we pray that the word that has been shared today will will not be cast off, will not be uh, blinded with footwork by the devil but that anyone who is in this room not yet born again, God, may this be the time or shortly, as soon as possible, to say, I see it now. I've never really given myself to the Lord, that they will trust Him and surrender to Him for the rest of their lives. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray, in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.